0: This is Women Road Warriors with Shelly Johnson and Kathy Takaro. From the corporate office to the cab of a truck, they're here to inspire and empower women in all professions. So gear down, sit back, and enjoy.
1: Welcome to Women Road Warriors with Shelly Johnson and Kathy DeCaro. We're a show that works to inspire and empower women in every profession and lifestyle, including the office, trucking, the trades, and even motherhood. We power women on the road to success. We tackle all kinds of topics, and we work to encourage women to be their very best with informative guests and women who've been champions. I'm Shelley.
2: And I'm Kathy.
1: No topic is taboo on our rig. We tackle the tough topics along with the not-so-tough topics. And we like to feature experts and celebrities who can assist women in being the very best they can be. There is still a lot of confusion about bipolar disorder. A person who's bipolar has unpredictable mood swings that can totally disrupt their lives and those around them. The symptoms manifest differently for women than for men. Hormone fluctuations make them worse. Because of the difference in symptoms, women often go undiagnosed for a long time. Medication is typically the treatment regimen, but patients don't always like the side effects. Too often, there's a one-size-fits-all approach to treating bipolar disorder, and that's not effective. Dr. Amy DeRamus is determined to educate everyone about the condition. Dr. DeRamus is the co-host of the Bipolar Girl podcast and the author of Understanding Bipolar Disorder, The Essential Family Guide. She's a nationally known expert who's been quoted by media outlets like the Huffington Post, Chicago Tribune, NBC, MSN, CNN, and Vogue. Dr. DeRamus wants to clarify the misconceptions surrounding bipolar disorder. She's worked in mental health for over 20 years, and during her early tenure, she identified the medical issues that can cause a mental health problem. She realized there was no one magic therapy that can help people with bipolar disorder. Her postdoctorate degree is in neuropsychological testing in areas that include dementia, traumatic brain injury, and infection of the brain. She engages many treatment modalities with her clients that include CBT, DBT, ACT, and Adlerian psychoanalysis. We wanted to explore more with Dr. DeRamis to help us understand bipolar disorder, so we invited her on the show. Welcome, Dr. Doremus. Thank you so much for being with us.
3: Oh, it's a great pleasure. Thank you for having me.
1: You know, I thought what we could do. People talk about bipolar disorder, but I think that there's a lot of confusion, a lot of misunderstanding. We hear different terms like manic depression and bipolar Mm -hmm. disorder. Are they the same thing? And what is bipolar disorder?
3: Uh, They're the same thing. It's just two terms. Uh, Bipolar is kind of the official term, Um, although manic depression, honestly, is a little bit more descriptive. And it is a disorder that has a very strong genetic component. There are other influences. Um, It tends to run in families. And what happens is you have different kinds of mood episodes. So depending on the type of bipolar you have, um, there's always gonna be a depressive episode just that looks a lot like other depressions, but it doesn't always respond to therapy as well because of that big biological piece and that this is a strongly biological disorder. Um, And then there are episodes called Manic Episodes. And this is a period of very, very high energy. Like at an extreme, people will not sleep for days and even the heaviest tranquilizers, the kind they give in hospitals, won't always work to get them any sleep. Um, Also people who are in a manic episode can be very, very impulsive. Uh, I've known people to do very dangerous things that they wouldn't normally do. One thing that a lot of people do sometimes is they'll get an idea in their head, they'll start a new project without really having a realistic idea of what that's gonna take. Um, Maybe they wanna be an influencer, valid, but they've never wanted to be an influence in in their life before, just when they're manic and they buy tons of equipment and make all these plans and spend a ton of money on things. And then two weeks later when the manic episode passes, they're stuck with the bills and sometimes a fair amount of embarrassment. I've known people to do things for various reasons, sometimes just on impulse to like run up tens of thousands of dollars in credit card bills when they're manic.
1: Wow. Because
3: there's an impulse control part of your brain in the frontal lobe, just behind the forehead. Um, Actually it's kind of a circuit, but in people with manic episodes, that circuit is completely turned off pretty much. So there's a specific part of the brain that is supposed to stop you from doing those things. And in people with mania, it doesn't work very well. People with mania can also be very, very grandiose. It can come across as narcissistic in some people. In some people, they just think that they have like powers or privileges that they don't actually have. Um, Sometimes they're just a little extra. Sometimes it's a full on delusion, like people who, you know, maybe I've met on the psych unit that I used to work at who thought they were the hospital CEO or a supermodel or something else that unfortunately was not true for them.
1: Wow, so and there's, then there's some a big delus- come down when
3: the manic episode passes. Yeah, so
1: some people have delusionary thinking. They do. Wow,
3: it's usually not a particularly dangerous delusion, except maybe for themselves. A lot of times, it's more just heartbreak when they've spent the last few days thinking that they were a rich supermodel, and then they have to come down from that one. Um, what's ha- What's happening
1: in the brain that causes all of that? Do Do we know?
3: Um, only partly. There's still a lot of research that needs done. We don't know always why it's so different in certain people, and we don't know you know, why certain people maybe have it seasonally. Some people have it unpredictably, some it responds to stress. There's a couple more types of mood episodes. One is hypomanic. And that just is a lot like a manic episode, but much more mild. And a lot of people can function very well during a hypomanic episode. Um, for some people, it's very unpleasant. It can be accompanied by a lot of anxiety, but for other people, it's actually kind of fun. Like imagine being able to work all day, be as productive as you need to, but you only need maybe two, three, four hours of sleep. So you can go out and party for a while after work, then come home, get all the paperwork done, uh, do it all again the next day and the next day for a couple of weeks. That could be a fun two weeks. Oh, man. It's Um, like a
1: massive speed buzz, right?
3: Right. Yeah. But the price is it very, very often people who get that hypomania, the depression is that much worse. Okay, And then sometimes you get a mixed episode where somebody has symptoms of both depression and mania or hypomania. So maybe they have all the low self-esteem and low mood of depression, but the energy of mania.
1: It's a scary condition. Uh, I had read a number of years ago that a lot of these conditions manifest in puberty. Is that true for bipolar Mm -hmm. disorder?
3: Ken, usually it's the late teens to early adulthood is the most common time. Okay. Uh, you do get it in um, early teens, even occasionally childhood.
2: So it can just randomly um, start at for at for no given reason at any given point yeah. in time?
3: It's usually young to early adulthood. But wow. um, we don't know a lot about why some people get it when they're six. Most people get it in their maybe late teens, early 20s. There does seem to be a slight effect of estrogen, which is why women get it sometimes earlier than men you see the same thing in schizophrenia. Sometimes women have an earlier onset. Mm -hmm. Um, So the disorders aren't caused in any way by sex hormones, but onset can be influenced. And another thing that we know, and this honestly isn't a lot, is that um, if you use a lot of um, cannabis in early teens, and you have a family history of bipolar, so I wanna be clear, cannabis does not in any way cause bipolar, but in somebody who already has that genetic tendency, it can bring it on at a little bit earlier age.
1: Interesting. Wow. Wow. So there should be some sort of warning to people. If they have it in their family, Mm -hmm. you don't want to do that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, That's
3: probably not the risk for you to be taking. Yeah.
1: Sure. Now the symptoms are different for women than men. What are the differences?
3: A lot of it is early onset. A lot of it is in the way they experience symptoms. As in other depressions, sometimes men are going to experience you know the regular symptoms of depression too but maybe a lot more irritability and that seems to be social as opposed to purely biological a lot of it seems to be related to kind of ingrained sex expectations so there's still you know a lot of situations in which men are expected not to show weakness and so on a totally unconscious level it's not like they have any power over this possibly sex hormones, um, but it varies enough by culture that there's probably a strong social expectation component, but like men will experience more irritability on average. Women sometimes tend to have bipolar fluctuate a little bit with menstrual cycles or um, during pregnancy. And um, women tend to have their mania be maybe a little bigger, I think.
1: I could see where this could be misdiagnosed as PMS or Mm -hmm. Hormone Mm -hmm. fluctuations when you're pregnant, Uh that sort of thing. If someone has never been diagnosed with bipolar disorder, it would go unnoticed and you would feel so out of control.
3: Well, especially if it's the hypomanic kind. People think that, you know, you're just somebody who can work hard and then party afterwards. Yeah. And then in children and teens, it's often misdiagnosed with ADHD hyperactive type. Okay. Um, Wow. Also, there's no rule you can't say um, you can't have both.
1: Mm. God, That's got to that be, be a challenge. Yeah, it would be hard for the child. It would be uh-huh. unbelievably hard for the parents. I mean, how do you cope mm-hmm. with all of that?
3: Wow, it's complicated. Um, eventually, most people, if they've got a dual diagnosis like that, they learn to tell the difference. Like, okay, this is what the ADHD hyperactivity feels like. This is its patterns. This is what helps it. This is what my hypomania feels like or my mania feels like and a lot of times when somebody's old enough to express themselves you know they can describe their internal experience this is what the hypomania feels like versus this is my ADHD hyperactivity um but yeah a lot of it is just spending a very long time reading the patterns
1: but if you don't know what you're looking at and you've mm-hmm. been misdiagnosed there has got mm-hmm. to be such frustration for the patient yes. Uh, because Mm -hmm. they're being told one thing, then they go to another expert who's telling them another thing. I imagine they go for Mm -hmm. many years without finding the answers.
3: Very often, all too often.
0: Stay tuned for more of Women Road Warriors, coming up. Dean Michael, the tax doctor here. I have one question for you. Do you want to stop worrying about the IRS? If the answer is yes, then look no further. I've been around for years, I've helped countless people across the country, and my success rate speaks for itself. So now you know where to find good, honest help with your tax problems, what are you waiting for? If you owe more than $10,000 to the IRS or haven't filed in years, call me now at 888-557-4020 or go to MyTaxHelpMD.com for a free consultation and get your life back.
1: Industry movement Trucking Moves America Forward is telling the story of the industry, our safety champions, If you're enjoying this informative episode of Women Road Warriors, I wanted to mention Kathy and I explore all kinds of topics that will power you on the road to success. We feature a lot of expert interviews. Plus, we feature celebrities and women who've been trailblazers. Please check out our podcast at womenroadwarriors.com and click on our episodes page. We're also available wherever you listen to podcasts on all the major podcast channels like Spotify, Apple, YouTube, Amazon Music, Audible, you name it check us out and bookmark our podcast. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, LinkedIn, YouTube, and other sites. And tell others about us. We want to help as many women as possible. Bipolar disorder affects women differently than men. Their range of symptoms can vary so much that often they go undiagnosed. Hormone fluctuations in women can make the symptoms much worse. And there appears to be a relationship between estrogen and an earlier onset of the condition in women and girls if there's a genetic tendency. Cannabis use also appears to play a role in the onset of bipolar disorder if there's a family tendency to developing the condition. Scientists still have much to learn about the condition, and the symptoms between men and women can vary. Men can get more irritable. Women can experience more mood fluctuations during menstrual cycles or pregnancy. Women's mania can be bigger than in men. Dr. Amy Duramus is working to educate people about bipolar disorder and the role it plays with women. She's a nationally known expert on it and the host of the Bipolar Girl podcast. She's also the author of Understanding Bipolar Disorder, The Essential Family Guide. She's been giving us great information about this condition that all too often does not get properly diagnosed. Dr. DeRamus, is there any light at the end of the tunnel on the confusion that causes conditions like this to be misdiagnosed?
3: Um, I do know of um, one research study uh, that's already in human trials where they're getting a 70% success rate at diagnosing major mental illness by blood test. Oh, wow. What are they looking for? Um, mRNA transcription, meaning if you have a genetic tendency, mRNA is kind of the messenger that translates the DNA into what actually happens in real life in your body. Mm-hmm. And so um, what they're hoping for and starting to get, actually, is the ability to differentiate different um, mental health disorders from each other in the blood, in the way that it the instructions from the DNA actually show up and are translated into real life by this MRNA.
1: Now, what are the treatments? Little complicated? Oh, sure. Uh, What are the treatments typically? I I saw that you have CBT, DBT, ACT, Mm -hmm. and Adlerian psychoanalysis. All of that sounds like an alphabet soup to me. I don't know what that is. is. (laughs) What are those things in terms of therapy for your patients? um,
3: Those are the therapies. Um, So the main treatment for bipolar for most people, especially if they've got the manic type, is medication. Mm -hmm. So therapy will not change the fact that you have bipolar. It will help you cope. And if there's something else going on, like you have a lot of anxiety or you have trauma or you have ADHD, that's another place where therapy can help. So as far as the alphabet soup, uh, CBT is cognitive behavioral therapy. Okay. Um, CBT comes out of um, some like ancient Greek and Roman philosophies, and there were some similar philosophies in Egypt. The basic idea is that um, it's your thoughts that play a big role in creating your mental health. In fact um the core idea comes from this stoic philosophy idea of it's not events that cause um your pain it is how you're thinking about events. Now that one we have to be careful about because when we're talking about mental illness that can actually be pretty stigmatizing. No it's not you know it's the fact that you've got bipolar disorder that you know is causing all this pain it's just how you're thinking about the fact that you've got bipolar. So we've got to adjust it a little bit so that You know, we're looking at some ways that the person can feel more hope, can feel more active in their treatment. Um, If they have more of an emotional depression from all the experiences, especially like what you talked, going years undiagnosed, uh, CBT can help them feel better from that sometimes. So CBT is about um, looking at the way you're thinking about things and finding places where it would be helpful to think differently. Uh, one big one is just instilling hope, trying to figure out a way to show that person that there is still hope for them. Okay. Um, and then DBT is dialectical behavior therapy. And this is actually pretty cool. It was the first therapy, A, the, the first major, major style of therapy that was A, invented by a woman and B invented by somebody who was actually out with a mental illness. So um DBT was originally designed for borderline personality disorder, which is something entirely different. Um, And the woman who suffered from it, um, she's, I believe, a psychologist, psychologist or psychiatrist, um, and has had severe enough borderline personality disorder that she's been in a hospital. And at that time, borderline was considered incurable. So she basically took everything that had ever worked for her, threw it in a metaphorical blender to create this dialectical behavior therapy, it's, you know, part CBT, part Buddhism, part anything she found that worked even a little bit to create a system that's mostly based on coping skills instead of philosophy, exactly, um, to give people ways of coping with things, of bringing down big emotions, of um, coping with relationship problems that start because of this. And again, DBT won't really affect the symptoms of bipolar. So when I say bringing down big emotions, it's not really going to affect a manic episode. But the natural and understandable big emotions that you have about having bipolar, helping you cope with that, um, stuff like that. So um, it's a little bit of CBT. It's a little bit of mindfulness. It's a little bit of relationship skills, emotion management, all, like I said, kind of thrown together in a very practical way. And so that's DBT. Okay. Um, ACT is act it's another kind of heavily mindfulness based therapy with a lot of roots in Buddhism and Taoism. And mindfulness is just the skill of being able to put your attention where you want it to be and that can be a big game changer because you've got all these thoughts about having bipolar about you know what you're going to do, what your future might be like and those thoughts are very understandable, pretty dire sometimes. And so mindfulness, is improving your mental health by putting your attention on things that keep you moving forward in a healthy way and give you some peace of mind. Um so let's see. Any other alphabet soup that I missed?
1: The Adlerian psychoanalysis.
3: Oh, that's fun. How did I miss that one? I've never um, even heard I've never even heard of
1: that. I haven't either. Oh, yeah. Can you okay. Say that so again? Adlerian bit... psychoanalysis.
3: Adlerian so psychoanalysis. Okay. Alfred Adler was a contemporary and for a while a student of Sigmund Freud. In fact, Freud said Adler was the most brilliant student he ever had. Now, Freud had some fatherhood issues that made him sometimes get into conflicts with his adult students who themselves were already accomplished doctors. And Adler was one of those. They didn't always get along. Um, Freud was focused on the idea that the most important driving um, force in our lives is sexuality. Right. And it's not that it's not important, but he felt like every, pretty much everything was about sex except the stuff was, that was about aggression, uh, which was originally Adler's idea anyway. Um, Adler came to believe that things were about belonging and managing superiority feelings and inferiority feelings. And that inferiority feelings and um, the need to belong somewhere are some of the driving forces in our life. And so you see that, um, especially when you see people with a mental health problem coming together to form community. So you see, you know, mental health advocates, you know, starting podcasts, starting blogs, up on social media, advocating, helping, advising, and just creating community with other people. Um, And that has been a big strength, which by the way, has also contributed a lot to our knowledge of bipolar just because you know, especially in the age of social media, when you get a bunch of people together on social media comparing their um, comparing their experiences, sometimes they'll find that everybody on a certain medication is taking this side effect that either the doctors don't know about or for some reason didn't get mentioned.
0: Mm-hmm. Or,
3: um, and so there have been times when researchers caught onto one of those vibes, tested it and found out they were right.
1: Oh, yeah, the social um, media groups are powerful. For sure. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm.
3: Um, So with Adlerian psychology, you are looking at things like um, family dynamics. What was it like in your family and what coping skills did you use to deal with that? How are those coping skills still with you? You are looking at places where you feel inferior and how to or scared or less than and how to handle that. Adler's basics were that there's two ways to deal with inferiority feelings one is to become better than your present self the other is to try and be better than other people and so obviously felt that the healthier option was to try and feel better than your present self um so encouragement of people was a core part of his therapy and that doesn't sound terribly you know fascinating or you know groundbreaking but in a time when you know the doctor patient ratio relationship was pretty authoritarian, you know, to have him take that kind of softer, more collaborative approach actually was pretty groundbreaking. Um, one of one of the most popular Illyrian techniques, um, Adler foresaw a few decades early, how much memory had to do with identity. And so he believed that if you looked at somebody's childhood memories, uh, you could tell a lot about them just because the brain sometimes like doesn't form a memory or gets rid of the memory, it's called pruning, just because that memory doesn't seem important anymore. So if you remember something from childhood out of all the things you could remember from childhood, that's because it's psychologically important to you. And so by examining a range of somebody's childhood memories, you can get a really good quick read on their personality. Interesting. And may or may not have been known to um, abuse this privilege on a first date. You must've been a cute kid. What were you like back then? Tell me about your family except that an Illyrian can get a whole lot more out of that information than the average person.
1: Sure. Interesting. So, um, yeah.
3: So for example, you can look at like all the women in the memory. If most or all of the women in the memory have a certain trait or a certain way of doing things, that's probably core to this person's conception of what a woman is. Same with hmm. men, same with um, any population that you could think of that they encountered in their childhood and that they have memories of. Adler believed that in these memories, if there's a pattern of movement that repeats itself, that tells you how this person feels they're doing in life. And then you look at their feelings about that pattern of movement. So for example, let's say somebody gives you a set of memories of their childhood and in one they're climbing a staircase, in one they're climbing a mountain, in one they are playing with a spaceship pretending it's blasting off. What's the common direction? Up. Up, exactly. So this person sees themselves as rising in life. Now, we also gotta know how they feel about it. So if they're going upstairs because they've been sent to bed and they don't want to be, or they're climbing a mountain, you know, they got dragged along on a family trip and they're playing with the spaceship and the spaceship is going up and they decide that the spaceship is gonna blow up, what's their feeling about this rise in life? They're not loving it. So by looking at repeated patterns of movement in the memories, up, down, away, towards, and then the feelings that are associated with those, you can sometimes get a kind of a loose read on how this person feels about how their life is going. And so that's Illyrian. And it can be really, really helpful in helping people see, you know, how their own ingrained patterns are affecting maybe how they're handling the bipolar, how they're thinking about it. And of course, family support is essential. So understanding the patterns within your family and how that affects your own mental health can be really important
1: and in many cases they don't have the family support i would imagine exactly that's a huge mm-hmm. obstacle
0: stay tuned for more of women road warriors coming up Welcome back to Women Road Warriors with Shelly Johnson and Kathy Takaro.
1: Scientists are making progress in diagnosing mental health conditions like bipolar disorder. One has a 70% success rate. It's a blood test that does mRNA testing. Treatments for bipolar disorder are typically medications, but medications don't go far enough. They help with the chemical imbalance. As Dr. Amy Duramus has been telling us, there are many types of therapies that are used. Cognitive behavioral therapy is one. The idea behind that therapy is that thoughts play a role in creating our mental health. It's a way to help the patient look at the way they think about things. That can instill hope, which is something a patient needs too. Dialectical behavioral therapy is also used. That was invented by a woman who had a mental illness, and it's part cbt Mindfulness, emotion management, Buddhism, and a system that's based on coping skills to give people ways of coping and bringing down big emotions. ACT is also used. That's a heavily mindfulness therapy, which is the skill of being able to put your attention where you want it to be. Adlerian psychoanalysis is also used. Dr. Adler was a student of Sigmund Freud. Adler believed things were about belonging. It was a matter of managing superiority and inferiority feelings that were the driving forces. That therapy looks at things like family dynamics and coping skills and places where a patient feels inferior or less than. Dr. DeRamus is giving us tons of information and shedding light on bipolar disorder and how it's treated. Now, what about patients who really are adverse to the medications because of the side effects and all of that, and they decide, oh, I can do this homeopathically? Is that not really advisable?
3: It totally depends on the situation, like how bad the medication side effects are. Mm -hmm. The thing is that the the main medications for bipolar, the mood stabilizers, they have some ugly long-term effects that are well-established in research, including damage to the liver, kidney, and organs over time.
1: That's no good. Mm -hmm.
3: People who are on those medications have to take regular blood tests to make sure the level of meds aren't going toxic in their blood. To the point that it would start harming their organs. Um, and so even so that's a very real calculation whether the cure is worse than the disease, especially in somebody who has hypomania. And so the bipolar doesn't ever really get to the point where it's going to destroy their lives from that point of view. Um, so, you know, of course you always worry when somebody's not on medication, especially if they they've got the manic type of bipolar, but I see it as a very, very important calculation that they have every right to be concerned about.
1: Have the medications you know, so- gotten better?
3: Not really. Okay. Um, there are a couple of other options. So if somebody refuses mood stabilizers or their body is just reacting very badly to it, um, sometimes bipolar disorder will respond to anticonvulsants, the medications for epilepsy. Oh, wow. And that for <laughs> some people can be a somewhat lower risk medication, better option, mm-hmm. Um And but if if somebody's got hypomania, hypomania is typically not very dangerous, not in the way that mania is. So if this person has enough social support and therapy to get through the depression without medications, um, then it might be actually a lot safer and better for them not to do the heavy meds. And that is a very, very individual decision.
1: Does meditation help?
3: Um, Not with the actual Bipolar. Okay. Uh, for stress relief, for helping to manage your own thoughts that are under your control, um, it absolutely can. Uh, One thing to know about meditation is that there are, even meditation has some side effects, especially for people with severe mental illness. So um, as much good as it's done, and it has, some people, in one recent study, um, up to one in five, Um, People who try medication, meditation are going to have maybe a temporary depressive episode or get into a place where they dissociate and can't pay attention for a while or other kind of hope, usually short term effects, but they can be pretty alarming. Definitely, you want to be very, very careful with meditation if somebody's had a trauma history because it's going to be either fantastic for them or it can actually make things a lot, lot worse. Wow. So what I would do it, with in that situation, if somebody wants to try meditation or I feel like it might be helpful to them, start with about five minutes and then slowly ease up in time so that if they're going to have a bad reaction, we find out about it kind of gently and early on.
2: So
1: it's you almost. Know, oh, go ahead, Kathy.
3: Oh, I just want to say um,
2: when I had like I come from a very traumatic background and uh, when I was 40, I had a complete mental breakdown. And I went from the nursing unit down to the psych unit because it was the first time that I, I really kind of acknowledged that I, I couldn't uh, pretend anymore to, that I was okay. And uh, the psych unit, uh, they were locked and here I am like knocking on the doors of my nursing scrub, let me in, let me in. They actually called security, get her out, get her out. And uh, I went down to uh, the the emergency with the assistance of two security guards. And they put me in a rubber room so that I wouldn't hurt myself. And it was mm-hmm. the first time that I was assessed by a psychiatric doctor. And mm-hmm. I honestly thought that I was bipolar or maybe mm-hmm. had a borderline personality disorder, or maybe I was mm-hmm. having a psychotic episode, or I I really, honestly, truly believed that I was going mentally insane. Mm-hmm. Um, And it was the first time. So I sat with that the first time at number one that I talked with a psychiatric doctor, but I talked to him for two hours. And at the end of the conversation, I was sure he was going to stamp me on the forehead saying, you're nuts. You got this, 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 send me up to the um, psych unit uh, with, for a 72 hour evaluation and, you know, give me some happy pills and then just say, okay, we're going to figure out there's something technically like, uh, you know, like really wrong with you. And so at the end of my talk and I'm, you know, I'm ready. Okay and i said are are we going to go and he's like go where i said well aren't you going to you know lock me up give me some happy pills and we'll figure this out and he he pulls his glasses down and he says oh no he said my dear he said there's no amount of happy pills as you say it that will will help you he says you don't have uh Uh, psychiatric or psychotic you know you don't have any mental illness number one you need to quit drinking alcohol because it's such a depressant and number two you need to address the issues these long-standing issues since childhood it has nothing to do with uh, being bipolar or or, you know like you can't put a legal term to it other than (laughs) traumatic events that you need to address and I was stunned I really uh, I was at such that a level of exhaustion and i mean i mean my moods were all over the place but but i mm-hmm. i was shocked to find out that it was just um i guess the 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 alcohol and the the lack of dealing with with life that, that had led me to that situation so my question to you is um is it common do you think that people can get confused with their state of mind or their their mood swings because of life circumstances i mean But does that happen often, do you think?
3: Oh, yeah. Um, People who have any kind of a mental health problem, uh, trauma, bipolar, um, psychosis, sometimes go through multiple um, diagnoses. Yeah, like we've talked about from multiple practitioners, um, before they figure it out, you actually got pretty lucky. It sounds like you met somebody very wise the first time you really talked with somebody about it.
2: Yeah, I was thinking and that, that honestly
3: is how it should be and how, you know, we really need it to be for more people. Mm-hmm. But yeah, <laughs> going through multiple diagnoses, multiple medications is all too common. You know what? It's interesting. Now that you say that, had he put me, locked me up
2: back then, mm-hmm. now that I think about mm-hmm. it and loaded me with drugs, that would not have helped anything because it wasn't right. addressing the root cause of the problem. Mm-hmm. So the mm-hmm. best thing he could have done was tell me to quit drinking and go to rehab. But they yeah.
1: did that that was really and miraculous that you listened, yeah, Kathy, that was miraculous that you had such mm-hmm. an insightful, fortuitous doctor talking to you. That made all the difference in the world.
0: Stay tuned for more of women road warriors coming up.
1: She's passionate about personal growth and believes anyone can change their circumstances and overcome their obstacles if they believe in themselves. Her life will amaze you and seriously inspire you. Be sure to order a copy of her book, Dream Big, on Amazon.com. Industry movement Trucking Moves America Forward is telling the story of the industry, our safety champions, There are so many variables in the treatment of bipolar disorder. Women are impacted differently from this condition than our men, and scientists and medical professionals are still learning the best ways to treat it. Often patients don't like the side effects of the drugs they need to take, and they opt for more homeopathic methods. There's no one size that fits all, and not all of these methods work for everybody. For instance, you need to be careful with meditation if you've had a trauma history. Dr. Amy DeRamus is clearing up the misconceptions and shedding light on this subject to help our women listeners. Her insight is just terrific. Dr. DeRamus, it seems like there's so many variables in just getting diagnosed with this condition. Would you say some of the multiple diagnoses are caused by the fact that there has to be a diagnosis code, obviously, in order for the bill to get paid by insurance and all of that? Uh, maybe that pigeonholes people too much and it isn't really a true picture of what they have.
3: Yeah. Because, you know, we meet somebody, we get you know, between 53 and 60 minutes to figure out the entire um, thing to the point of an accurate diagnosis. Yeah. Um, I mean, people do use provisional diagnoses. So let's say that I feel like somebody has got an anxiety disorder, but I need more time to figure out which one. Um, you know, I might just give, you know, a specific anxiety disorder and then a session or two down the road, I can always um, just put a note, okay, on further information, on further assessment, um, I'm changing the diagnosis to this. So let's say that somebody comes in for bipolar, there's a whole lot to assess um, and maybe because they come in with that diagnosis, it becomes the provisional um, because in that session, you know, I didn't, I didn't necessarily have time to figure out, you know, to ask all the questions that I needed. So maybe I am like, okay, maybe it's trauma, maybe it's bipolar, maybe it's this other thing. And I don't know. So I'm just going to roll with bipolar for the moment. And now with a psychiatrist, that may, might be a little bit more harmful because they're probably prescribing meds. With me, it just means, you know, you wait another week or two for a definitive diagnosis. So I think one of the things is not to get stuck on a particular diagnosis too early inside your own head, even if you have to take a few sessions to do it. But just to think, okay, here are the symptoms. What are all of the things this could possibly be? And how do I work my way through asking about each one?
1: You know, that seems like for a lot of people, it could be really scary. People Mm -hmm. may be reluctant to go in and get diagnosed Mm -hmm. because they don't want a Uh label. They don't want to say to themselves, gee, I'm crazy, because we still have this stereotypical (laughs) label People are afraid and then they're afraid Mm -hmm. how that's going to affect their personal life, their jobs, all of it.
3: Mm -hmm. Right? Um, Definitely. And the stigma is still very, very real. So, you know, some people, sometimes people are still, you know, if they're open about their bipolar, they're getting that. Okay. You're not going to like go postal and, you know, try to beat me up or kill me. Are you? Which is terrible that people say
1: that stuff, Mm -hmm. mm
3: -hmm. but it happens. Um, you know, there's, there's still enough stigma that, you know, some diagnoses trigger a fear response in a lot of people or just a simple a like, okay, I don't want this employee because they've got this serious disorder and they might be taking a whole lot of time off for it. And then we have to pay disability stuff. Um, so there's going to be that level of stigma. So I mean, yeah, people worry and they're not always wrong too. Is there well,
2: more women or men that are... Um get diagnosed, you know, is there, or is it just balanced out for for bipolar? Um, Yeah. For bipolar.
3: I think it's a little bit more women. They tend to be a little bit more re- receptive to therapy. Although, you know, I've definitely had a lot of male clients who were all in. Yeah. Men tend to,
1: I think a lot of times they're more adverse to going in uh, to talk to a psychologist mm-hmm. or a psychiatrist. They'll say, Oh, that's psycho babble.
2: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh-huh, yeah. I've heard that before. <laughs> uh-huh.
1: Yeah, and it's almost like their machismo gets in the way or something. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
2: yeah.
3: On the other well, hand, I know men even have four it... times the a suicide rate of women, so we got to work on that one.
1: Oh wow! Oh, I didn't. I didn't know that was a statistic. Four times the rate. Wow.
3: Um, women attempt four times as often as men, but men actually, you know, succeed in taking their own lives four times as often as women. So women mm. are more likely to attempt, but when a man attempts. He is four times more likely for it to result in ending his life. Wow. So, we, you know, there's a lot of work to do around making therapy a more comfortable space for men, you know, creating a culture where men feel comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. And I think that is changing slowly. And there's some interesting men's mental health organizations working on that. We, j- I just had a co-worker
2: who committed suicide last month, and it's mm-hmm. just devastating. Oh, wow. You know, yeah. to everybody. Yeah, it's very and mm-hmm. such a nice guy. Like, oh, my God. I, I, oh, man, mm-hmm. it's just, you know and nobody knew nobody Mm -hmm. knew and it's interesting because since I wrote my book um, I I make a point of talking about mental health in the workplace and how Mm -hmm. you know it's okay to not be okay but I mean I work Mm -hmm. uh, with like my crew is 170 and there's only seven women and these big Mm -hmm. tough guys it's it's harder for them I think to acknowledge or want to talk about it as opposed to women in the locker room here we are you know oh my god this is going on this is going on Mm -hmm. and men aren't geared, they're wired the same. So yeah, yeah, I feel really bad that I, you know, that we couldn't um, help him. There needs to be more progress in the workplace.
1: I know we had an advocate that we interviewed talking about that. Mm -hmm. So people can find the resources they need. I think I have read this since the pandemic, there's been more support for mental health, because Mm -hmm. the stress level was at such a crescendo with all Mm -hmm. of the shutdowns and the shelter in place People were panicked, and I think it brought a Mm -hmm. lot of things out that made people have to look at it. Mm
3: -hmm. And that actually includes therapists, too. Um, I've read some estimates that as much as uh, 40 percent of the mental health workforce left during COVID. Oh, dear. (laughs) Or at least we lost 40 percent. We don't know. I'm not sure how much of that was people passing away from COVID, but there's definitely a lot of people dropping out of the profession after that.
1: And they're so needed. Oh my goodness. That, that's uh-huh. not good. Dr. Remus, how yeah. do you treat bipolar disorder in your practice? And I, I kind of wanted to touch on your book and your podcast and all of yeah. that so yeah. that people could reach out to you.
3: So with bipolar, like I said, um, you know, my job is sometimes to be a coach through the process to help people manage um, specific symptoms. Um, there's definitely a big part where I'm helping people, um, create systems that will help them stay stable, like how to remember their meds, putting together social support networks and stuff, especially for people who don't have any. So, you know, once we've got a diagnosis of bipolar and the client and I are pretty much agreed that, yeah, this sounds like it, we're going to do things like if they're not on medication, we're going to have that discussion. And like I said, I do recognize that that is a calculation because the meds are pretty heavy, but um, if they're open to it, you know, I'm going to refer them to a psychiatrist. Because it really is the meds for a lot of people that stabilizes things. So, but if a patient, a client says, you know, I don't want the meds or I have tried those meds and this is what happened. These were the side effects, or I started to have this organ damage and I had to pull off of them. It's going to get a little harder. And I'm going to probably, you know, emphasize social support even more because we need lots of people around that they can rely on for example when they're having a depressive episode or people who are going to say hey i think you need to call amy cuz you're starting to look a little manic another thing is tracking symptoms if somebody's on medication we're going to track their medication with their symptoms and i find this works best if people can you know set up a symptom but that or set up a symptom tracker but it takes them less than 60 seconds a day to do it the more complicated the system the less likely they are to do it so we just created you know maybe a chart Check a box when you take your medication. Give, you know, this symptom, this symptom, and this symptom a number rating so that you can see if anything is trending upward or downward. Like, oh, over the last two weeks, uh, my moods were to six. Oh, now I'm in the fives, and now the last couple of days I've been fours. That means my mood's going down. You know, maybe I should start preparing for a depressive episode. And that gives us a chance to put the structures for a depressive episode in place. Do they need FIMLA from work? Do they need Lifestyle changes. Do they need to maybe temporarily move in with somebody to make sure they're safe? So a lot of my stuff is lifestyle management, and then oftentimes it's um, handling other emotional issues. Like if they do have a history of trauma, we can do the trauma therapy. Maybe they've also got anxiety. They've also got ADHD. Those are stuff I can work on, and then just being supportive. If someone comes in, I think I might be manic. You know, can you help me figure it out? Yeah. Although pretty soon they're going to be even better at telling when they're going to be um, have a manic episode than me, especially See, if they're doing kind of a tracking where they figure out, okay, this is exactly what it looks like when I'm going to have a manic episode in three days.
1: Dr. Doremus, you are so insightful. It sounds like you have a really holistic approach and you pull mm-hmm. a lot of different um, methodologies out of your mm-hmm. bag of knowledge, if you will, uh, which is good. Thank I mean, you. it isn't one size fits all, which is wonderful. Right. And you have your Bipolar Girl podcast, which is informative for people, plus your book. Where do people find your podcast? Where do they find your book? And where do they find you? I'd like to know if you work remotely, too.
3: So um, the podcast isn't actually mine. Um, I'm one of the co-hosts. It was started by um, a married couple, Stephen and Rebecca McDowell. Uh, Rebecca has bipolar. And so they started at this podcast as a married couple talking about their real-life experiences, with um, bipolar. And um, Steven's open about the fact that he has anxiety and so how their um, kind of mental health stuff um, interacts. And they started asking other people on the podcast and in the first season they'd invited me. And so I was a guest on their podcast. And then um, second season I was on a couple of times and they had um, a round table where they got a lot of people with bipolar together and they wanted to be guests instead of hosts. So they asked me to kind of be in the host position for the roundtable, which was fun. Um, And then we did that again, third season, and they started bringing me on as like a part-time co-host. And then sort of, we just started fifth season, and this is my first season as kind of a full co-host. It is definitely kind of more their baby, and I was just kind of like brought on later on.
1: Well, it's a terrific program that people can really identify with on so many different Mm -hmm. levels. Plus, you have your book. I saw that it's Mm -hmm. available on Amazon.
3: It is. And Barnes and Noble um, bookshops.org for people who would rather support local bookstores than the big chain ones.
1: And it's called Understanding Bipolar Disorder. And they can just look up Mm -hmm. that title, correct?
3: Yeah. Um, Understanding Bipolar, the Essential Family Guide. And it focuses more on family members who are trying to figure out, you know, what they should do for a family member who's got bipolar.
1: That is so needed. I know some families who've dealt with this, and it can be utter chaos. So having a resource like this is so essential. Do you work with people remotely?
3: Um, Yeah, I do. I work at Clarity Clinic. Um, I have two days a week in office. And on those days, I can do either telehealth or people can come in. And then I have uh, two days that's just telehealth where I'm working from home. Where do people find you? They can just type in um, Clarity Clinic um, Chicago, and I'm at the uh, Loop office. Also, uh, my email is adaramus, A-D-A-R-A-M-U-S, at clarityclinic.com. I also have a website of my own. It's called Audeo Therapy. Audeo is Latin for um, I dare to kind of point out the courage that it takes to face a mental health problem.
1: How do you spell that?
3: A-U-D-E-O. So my personal website, personal professional, is uh, www.audetherapy.com.
1: And what is that again, just in case people didn't catch that?
3: Audeo is Latin for I dare, meaning I have the courage. So for people who are, you know, gathering the courage to actually face up to this stuff and want to deal with it.
1: And it's the location on the web where they can find your personal website is yeah. A-U-D-E-O therapy.com. Mm-hmm. A- Audeo Okay. Yes. You are a wealth of information, Dr. DeRamus. We could talk for a couple hours here. Yeah. We've kind of just scratched the surface, but I think you've really given us a good handle on mm-hmm. what manic depression is all about or bipolar disorder. Mm-hmm.
3: You've made it sound
1: Maybe. less scary, I think.
3: Yeah. Good. Yeah, well said. Thank you.
2: I really appreciate you being on the show.
3: Oh, thanks again for asking me. I had a great time. Terrific. Very
2: informative. My yes. gosh. Yeah. Eye opening. It's just like, okay, now I understand a little bit more.
1: I know you've helped clarify things for a lot of our listeners. Thanks so much, Dr. Doremus. This has been a pleasure. We hope you've enjoyed this latest episode. And if you want to hear more episodes of Women Road Warriors or learn more about our show, be sure to check out womenroadwarriors.com. And please follow us on social media. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. Women Road Warriors is on all the major podcast channels like Apple, Spotify, Amazon, Audible, YouTube, and others. Thanks for listening.
0: You've been listening to Women Road Warriors with Shelley Johnson and Kathy Takaro. If you want to be a guest on the show or have a topic or feedback, email us at S Johnson at womenroadwarriors.com.